Well, last week we did something a little different, didn't we? Before each hymn, I gave a brief history and a short story of the song, who wrote it and why they wrote it. And we sang a few extra songs with some dialogue between, and I joked that it was Golden Beach the Musical. And many of you read my Wednesday Twitter posts, and I titled, you know, I titled Midweek Spiritual Recharge. And I usually include the scripture that's coming up and then uh, a couple handwritten notes. And, you know, sometimes I invite some comments. And, but following last week's message where I was talking about the meaning and story behind the song, someone asked the question, why didn't you study the story behind the hymn titled, and I'm not making this up, Blessed is the Man Whose Bowels Move. That's an actual hymn. I can see your faces. This is an actual story. And you did hear me correct. That is the name of the hymn. And once I stopped laughing, I searched, and um, I found all kinds of things on the internet I didn't want to see. But then I learned there actually is a hymn titled, Blessed is the Man Whose Bowels Move. We will not be singing it in this church. However, I did research, and it was found that it was written in the early 1700s, and that was a term they used to mean for heart, right? Um, I'm so glad we got away from that term. <laughs> my bowels beat for you, dear. <laughs> Please don't break my bowels. <laughs> you give me the look like, stop that joke, okay. Anyway, we did take a serious look at the message of the lyrics of each song we sang last Sunday. And as I listened to the recording of the service, it was very obvious to me um, that there was a song or, or two that were a little more familiar, or perhaps the story of the lyrics resonated with you guys a little more because it, you guys weren't just singing louder, although that was true too, but there was more energy behind it. And it's hard to describe, but there was like a literal energy behind some of those songs as you sang them out. And I'm sitting right here in front, so certainly I feel it. And then as I listened to it again, I thought, wow. That's what it's like to be engaged in worship, to really feel and believe the, the words you're saying, to really have confidence in the life you're living, to really believe in the things that we're talking about and learning about. Not just to sing the printed words, but to lift them up as your own, right? Kind of like we do with our prayer. You know, we may not know the person we're praying for. We don't know all the people in Florida, but we're lifting them up in prayer and we're right behind that, right? And I hope you're able to capture that spirit this past week as you went about your life, that you did your life a little differently with a little more energy towards the Lord and, and living a life of worship. And it is that application of the praise and worship that leads us to this morning's message, which is, I'm alive and well. I don't mean alive and well good, but alive and well, like what's next? What, what now? And that's a very personal question with a very specific purpose that God has planned for you. And it's likely different than the plan for the person sitting near you, even if they're family or a friend. My, God's plan for me, specific one, is different than, than my wife's and for you guys. And the familiar word of Jeremiah 29, 11 reminds us this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And we often recall this verse in tough times, don't we? When life gets tough, we're like, God has a plan for me. It's a good plan, right? But the encouragement shouldn't just come from that part of, the, of what he says because his plans are good and that feels good. But the real encouragement comes from knowing that God has a plan for you. There's an actual plan. It's not just chaos. And this great big God who knows all, who sees all, who has made all, he has a specific plan for you and you and me, every one of us. Because it is a personal and specific purpose, I, I want to remind you that there's only one who knows that answer for you of what your purpose is. And I want you um, to 
to think about that. And if, if you want to know why something was created, you don't ask the creation, right? You ask the creator. Why, why was this made? Why is it here? So ask him. Ask God. Ask him in prayer and ask him in study. And remember that life is an open book exam. Don't deny yourself the resource of the instruction manual that God, the creator, offers to you that says your answer is everything you need to know is in here. Look for it and ask me if you don't understand. But as personal and different as each person's life purpose is, there are some general words of guidance that apply to us all. And as we look at these this morning, I'm going to focus on a statement made by the Apostle Paul. Now, you remember Paul, and we discussed this this morning in Bible study. Paul was imprisoned in Rome. And during this time, he spent time sending many letters to the early churches around the region. And these were churches, the early church, I mean, groups of believers that were often met in homes and together. Not the structures like we have today, but these were the early Christian believers, and they were spread throughout the region. And these letters were words of encouragement, and they were words of instruction, and words of conviction sometimes, right? He had to get on them sometimes and say, how can you... You know, all this stuff just happened and you're already straying. But these letters are found in your Bible and we study them regularly. And if you recall from last week's message, Paul and Silas were in prison awaiting a sentencing that may result in their death. And they still sang songs and they prayed and they sang hymns and they rejoiced in the Lord and the glorious gift of grace that was established for them by Jesus and you remember the other prisoners and the guards were moved by this measure of praise, especially when considering the circumstances these men were in. And in Acts 16.25 it says, About midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And what did the other prisoners do? They, they were listening. Right? What a testimony it is to praise God in times of despair. And aren't we more inclined to change our prayers from, from praise, our prayers from praise to request? when we think that we'd be more beneficial to us to do so. Instead of, God, you are awesome, we say, God, help me, right? We often so forget that the prayer of thanks and the words of praise that are just as valid in the times of desperation. In every one of Paul's letters, he began with words of praise for God above. And he often said, and pray for me. He'd often write to the church and say, pray for me. Not just because I'm in, not because I'm in prison, but that too. But pray for me because... I'm trying to live my life just like you are, to be more Christ-like, and I need your prayers and support. And it was during this period of imprisonment that Paul wrote the words we find in Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if you're like me, you nod your head as if you understand, okay? And then you realize you have no idea what that means. And I still struggle with that. Wait, what? I, I keep wanting to change that to to live as Christ. But it says to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And this statement reveals so much about the answer to our question about what we are to do with our lives. Those simple words. And I'm going to refer to it often this morning. But the sense is a, a part of a much larger statement that deserves its own study will take on some point. But we already know Jesus' new commandment. Also called the Great Commission from Matthew 18, 16 through 20. And I'll read that. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And that certainly is a divine instruction for what we are to do with our lives. But if we go back a little further in Scripture, we find these instructions also given by Jesus. This is Matthew 16, 24 through 27. 
says, then Jesus told his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? This is talking about what we, our blessings now versus our blessings, our eternal blessings, our treasures here on earth, things we seek, and the things we seek above. And we're going to study that in the next two weeks as we talk about our forward-looking faith and how do we get to heaven from where we're at. But this verse sheds light on what it means to live as Christ. Wouldn't it have been easier if he just said, like I said, live as Christ? And we would know we should live like Christ lived. We should live like Christ instructed. We should live like Christ would have responded in every situation. But to live is Christ is so much more. There's so much more to that. So let's keep learning. A Christian author, when I was researching this topic, explained it this way. He said, most people focus on the second part of the verse, to die is gain, and they contemplate the joys of heaven. But we should not overlook what comes before. The importance of the phrase, to live as Christ, cannot be overstated. In all honesty, this phrase should be central to every Christian's life. In this statement, the Apostle Paul is saying that everything he has tried to be, everything he is, and everything he looked forward to being pointed to Christ. From the time of Paul's conversion until his martyrdom, every move he made was aimed at advancing to the knowledge, gospel, and church of Jesus Christ. Paul's singular aim was to bring glory to Jesus. Now, he didn't start out that way. He started off as a guy that was not that nice, thought that good. In fact, he persecuted Christians. And he went through this transformation, and, and he gave his life. And from that point on, from that point on, everything was aimed at Christ. So to live as Christ, as Paul said it, means that we proclaim the gospel of Christ, right? Paul preached in synagogues. He preached at riversides. He preached as a prisoner, as an apostle, as a tent maker. That was his profession. His message was constant, and he brought the message of Christ's sacrifice to kings, soldiers, statesmen, priests, philosophers, Jews and Gentiles, men and women. He would preach to literally anyone who would listen. Are we doing that? Even if we're not standing on the corner with our Bible open, are we, through our lives, representing the gospel to everyone? To live as Christ means that we imitate the example of Christ. Everything Jesus did and said, that's what Paul wanted to do and say. The church benefited from his godly example. He said, follow my example and I will follow the example of Christ. That's from 1 Corinthians. He said, follow my example because I'm, I'm doing what Jesus would do. Do like I'm doing. Try it. Do you remember that fad back in was the 80s, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? There were t-shirts and bumper stickers everywhere and someone probably made a bunch of money coming up with those. But... Um, but, you know, they, the word spread, and people maybe for a moment stopped and thought about that. You know, maybe that's not such a bad thing. That person certainly didn't come up with it. It's, it, you know, here's Paul saying, what would Jesus do? I want to do that. To live as Christ means that we pursue the knowledge of Christ. We're doing that this morning by learning. We want to know Christ better and better each day, not just a set of facts about Christ, but we want to know Christ himself. We don't want religion. We want a relationship. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attain the resurrection from the dead. Again, that's Paul's statements in Philippians. 
I want to know him. I want to know all that. I want to be just like him. To live as Christ means that we are willing to give up something that prevents us from having Christ. This is the tough part, isn't it? Paul's testimony, and this is in, in his regard, whatever were, were gains to me, I now consider loss. Maybe you've heard this, this verse before. It's, I have counted all as loss, he says. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He's saying all these things that I pursued before, my, my stature in the community, my money, my job, all the things I had, it was garbage. Not only is it garbage, it kept me from, from Jesus. Not that these things are bad, but he was so focused on them, he couldn't do what he needed to do later in life. To live as Christ means that Christ is our focus, our goal, and our chief desire. He's the center point of our mind, our heart, our body, and our soul. And everything we do, we do for Christ's glory. As we run the race marked for us, as Paul describes, we lay down and set aside the sins and distractions of the world. And we fix our eyes on Jesus because he is our life. And that is so tough when there's things coming at us. But if you were to answer honestly, how would you say you're doing in these areas? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you, are you pointing your life towards Christ? Are you setting aside things that, that are a distraction, no matter if they're good or not so good? For me, I can honestly say that it's, I'm doing better than I've ever done before. I am. But with equal honesty, I have to confess that I've got a long ways to go. Whatever your answer to that question, you're only answering for your life so far. To this point, this is where I'm at. And what you do next is up to you. It's completely up to you, and that's great news. Paul, this man who had all of these sins and struggles and, and was mean to the people that he wanted to later lead to Christ, there's a point where he just made a decision and said, from this point forward, from this point forward, my life is for Jesus. So I ask you, will you leave this place changed because you have a deeper awareness or desire to live a life of worship? Where everything you do honors the God that gave you life and blesses you with an opportunity for an eternal life. If this is something you're struggling with, whether you under, don't understand the, compl- the application or, or you just don't understand what needs to happen next, I want to hear from you because God has a powerful and encouraging message just for you and I want to help you hear from him. So life is pretty good, right? It's difficult at times. Certainly through our prayer requests, we heard life can be tough. That doesn't necessarily mean life is bad. But for someone to say to die is gain, I mean, that's, that's puzzling. Paul in another letter shares this um, truth, which I found in Romans 14.8. It says, for if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. And listen to this. He says, therefore, whether we live or die, we're for the Lord, right? Isn't that comfort? You know, dying may be scary and traumatic, like dying. But being dead, being gone from this world, actually be incredible. To die is gain because we will be continually in the presence of the Lord. No matter how good this life is, no matter how awesome things are here, heaven is better. In fact, scripture says, no matter what you can imagine, it's better than that. And I can imagine a lot of really cool things, right? But it says it's so much better than you can even imagine. Now, I'll take that challenge. I'll see if God can outdo me on what I think heaven's going to be like. And he says he will. So dying is gain because all that stuff is waiting for us. We mourn the loss of our family and our friends. We do. And we miss them terribly. 
but we also celebrate their lives. And we celebrate them even more so because they continue to live a life with God in heaven. And this was Paul's struggle when he wrote these words from prison. He was going to face a sentencing for preaching the gospel. See, to live, he got to go on living as Christ called him to live, which feels good, you know? If you're doing things right and you're trying to be like Christ, even when you fall short because you got that gift of, of, of grace, right? When you repent, say, oh, I really blew it today. He says, okay, keep going, keep going. And it feels good to be on that path. And, and Paul was on that path, so to live, to live was good. And doing so, he, he would make gain for the kingdom of heaven because he was converting people. He was pe- preaching and speaking and making a difference. But if he were to die... Well, then he gets to start his eternity, right? With the one that he was always talking about. It's a pretty good deal too. And during next week's message, I hand to this, we're going to talk about this portion of Paul's statement where we studied forward-looking faith, about what the things we do and, and the implication it has on what comes next. But I remember, to remember is, is Paul is facing possible death in the world. He had already died, at least spiritually once just like we all do, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now it's easy and probably a little lazy to think that a person can't change. But when you have accepted Christ into your heart and, and invited God to live through you via the Holy Spirit, you can't help but be changed, just like Paul. This isn't blind optimism. It's a scriptural promise. When you give your life to Christ and you truly do so, you are a new person. And we know that when we lose our physical life on earth and we leave our physical body behind, our story does not end. Say this with me, John 3.16. I hope you know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Friends, you will not perish. You will have an eternal life. Where? Anybody? Heaven. With who? So yes, you get it. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's good news. Let's pray. Father God, you are amazing. And with just a simple sentence, you can reveal so much. To live is Christ, to die is gain. There's so much we can and should be doing in this world and on this planet to make a difference for you. As we learned last week, how to live our lives as a means of worship towards you and affect things that that make a difference for the kingdom through the lives we touch, the words we speak, the actions we, we take. God, but we also know that there's a second part of the promise that says this isn't all there is. This is the, the dry run. This is the practice for the eternity in heaven where we get to spend time with you. And God, we know, because you've said so, that you are just as excited about us being there as we will be to be there. God, we look forward to that. But while we have time on earth, help us to live as Christ lived, as Christ instructed. And God, as always, I want to thank you for this church, this community that supports it. I want to thank you for everyone gathered here this morning and who listens online. Father, for every empty spot in the pew this morning, I pray that it serves as a reminder that there's room to invite others into a relationship with you. Let us never get so hung up on the place, the time, and the structure that we forget that this is not a religion, it's a relationship that we're called to have with you. 
And we thank you for that. In your name I pray. Amen.